Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you this fine Super Bowl afternoon? It is the afternoon, yeah. Just used to saying tonight. Uh, I'm good. Bruce, I have to admit, until two days ago, I didn't even know who was in the Super Bowl. I used to, I could, you know, I in the ages, I could probably mention every player on every NFL team, but I've completely dropped off. And I know that's against the grain. Like, the NFL is huge in Canada. People are huge fans. And I'm just, I mean, we're so focused on the Oilers. It's such an obsession because we write about it as part of our, you know, the work that we do. So it just takes all my energy for sports. I don't even, I hardly follow anything else, so. I, you're watching the game, though, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I've actually seen every Super Bowl. Cool. Really? Right, right from number one, Max Joe McGee. Namath. Yep, Joe Namath for sure. Yep, 16-7 for the Jets. Garo Yepremian. Hmm? Remember him? <laughs> sure do. His famous play where he muffed a field goal and tried to pass it, and it turned into a touchdown. That's right. <laughs> hey, the suit, like, the I, Dolphins won anyway. I did wa- watch a recent Super Bowl, and maybe I'll tape this. I watched when mm-hmm. when New England won one year. I won mm-hmm. it. I watched it, and it, oh, it was great. Like it was a great game and mm-hmm. very exciting. And uh, but uh, just not not my thing. Okay, let's get let's get after this game, Bruce. It was a stinker <sighs> of a loss for mm-hmm. the Edmonton Oilers, six two against the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Um, lots of happy people in Montreal. Lots of unhappy people in Edmonton. Two good things, two bad things, two numbers. What is your good thing? Oh, boy. Um, my good thing, I think, is that Edmonton is 9-1-2 and two in their last 12 games. I'm having a hard time finding much good out of that game unless you want to single in on a split second like a Dylan Holloway drop pass to McDavid <laughs> or something. But the, yeah, yeah. The, the, there was so – this game was so poor – uh, even though our numbers will show Edmonton actually had the majority of grade A shots. But this game, the orders were so poor right out of the gate. Zero eight in shots and down on the scoreboard by the, uh, well, I guess it took eight minutes and the eight shot. And then the, they were, they never caught up. They came close for a bit. They raised it for a bit. But the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the good thing is that, you know, this is at the tail end of a, Long run, they managed to keep it going into the double digits before finally everything came apart in one game. So I guess that's a good thing. They made enough mistakes today to lose two or three games, and they only lost one. There's my old standby for crappy games. Yeah, that was a that has been a good run. Of course, they did play some a lot of weaker teams, so you they needed they needed to make hay while the sun mm-hmm. shined, and they did do so. So that's that is a good thing, Bruce. I agree. This game. Um, my good thing is Vincent DeHarnay's fight mm-hmm. um, against Arbor Jerkaj, I think his name Jack-i. is. Jackai. Jackai. Like he's like yeah. a Bond villain, eh? Jackai. Yeah. 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 Um, he is uh, like the Bond henchman. Jackai. <laughs> Calls Jackai. They call him, they call him Wi Fi because it, his name just looks like a scramble of random letters. Looks like one of our. Looks like one of our video codes for our podcast, you know, just sort of randomness. <laughs> yeah. It's a great nickname. I got to say, that is a great nickname. It's like the, the Bond yeah. villain just pushes one button on the phone mm-hmm. and he just call Jacques. 
That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, Vincent DeHarnay picked up the phone at the other end and he answered that call, Bruce. Jacques mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, Montreal was getting aggressive and DeHarnay came in and fought him. It was a good hard fight. I think Jacques, unfortunately, might have got injured as often happens in these fights. The only problem with the fight is it happens way too late in the game. Like if, if you're going to try to get the physical stuff going and a big hit or like did the Oilers ever need that Bruce a few minutes into the game? It was so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get into it. Cause I know that's your good, your, your, your own bad thing. But it, anyway, he needed to do it earlier, but it was good because it did, I think fire up the team momentarily. And there was a moment in this game when it was three, two, Mm-hmm. And uh, McDavid charges into the zone, fires a hard pass at net, and Hyman almost puts it in. Zach Hyman had a good game, one of the few Oilers to do so. But um, he um, he got thwarted by Jake Allen, who was fantastic in this game, who made a, a lot of good saves. The grade-A shots were 17-12 to 12 for Edmonton, yeah. largely due to score effects. But, and power um, plays. And power plays. But um, that's fair enough, Bruce. But... Um, after that great chance by Hyman, Bouchard, I think it's the same shift coming down the ice the other direction. They give a really super marginal soft call against Evan Bouchard for interference and Montreal mm-hmm. scores in the power play. So anyway, DeHarnay did his best to fire up his team and it did fire up the team. They scored the next two goals, but um, that was not enough in this game. And it probably wasn't good. like even if they had tied it, you know, you you mentioned that the orders had played. This is like their fourth game in five and a half, yep. five and a half days. Yeah. So that's 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 pretty tough. That's yep. pretty tough for any team. What's your yeah, bad thing? It's all of that. Yeah, so many choices for bad thing today, David. <laughs> Just okay. about all of the Montreal goals had had some culprit or other. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that sparked me to make a single comment on Twitter today was Evan Bouchard's absolutely lame effort on the <clears throat> shorthanded goal that ended all doubt with about 10 minutes to go in the third period. But there was lame efforts on uh, on so many. I think you're probably going to talk about the uh, the two minute shift. Uh, yeah, I think just the start of really each period. But especially the first, like each period, Edmonton came out and it was like they they couldn't, they needed a uh, you know a flashlight to 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 find the puck, let alone win a puck battle, you know like they were they were just Montreal had the jump on them, and Montreal was playing back to back too, but they didn't quite have the schedule Edmonton did going, leading into the weekend, and it was uh, but just that just that opening and. Uh, Skinner made a couple of saves in the early going, but uh, really this was a game where Montreal's goalie had a super good game and Edmonton's goalie did not. And I mean, 6-2 probably isn't, probably, well, in some ways, it, like, there was enough wretched play by Edmonton, but they got no saves in this game. So that's kind of part of the bad thing. And it was, uh, <sighs> shudder, just, uh, Penalty kill wasn't good. The power play wasn't good. You know, there's lots to choose from. I mean, the Oilers had six power plays to three, and Montreal's special teams are pretty wretched, and yet Montreal scored three special teams goals, and Edmonton got one. Yeah. So yeah. it was just not, you know, you can pick out whatever aspect of the game uh, that you care to. Uh, and Edmonton had spurts, but they, you know, they had no sustain. 
And although the Kane goal was essentially a power play goal, like because sort of, yeah, the at the end of in the play. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I mean, it's still like it's based on the power play situation. Yeah, Bruce, the start of the game especially. And, you know, start of the first this first and second periods, there's just these horrendous nightmares that both end with the two worst goals of the game, I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, that first goal against, um, they just were <laughs> losing battles, wandering around in the red light zone, not covering anyone, not blocking a passing lane or a shooting lane, and, and it's just wretched play all around. Like, But I have to say... A thought flashed through my mind about two minutes into the game. Jay Woodcroft needs to call a timeout <laughs> because it was, you could just see this was, this was trending really poorly for the Oilers right off the top. And then I thought of, well, the old basketball thing, like you don't want to call a timeout. You want to save your timeout and you, you know, you want your team to sort it out. You want for them what? to internally, internally figure it out. But I just think I just had this sense, like call a timeout, like yell at the players, do something. Because this isn't going to turn out well, the way this is trending in it. And, of course, it didn't. And my bad thing is the second goal against early in the uh, second period. And to single out a player on that play, I'm going to suggest it may have been Connor McDavid's worst shift in the NHL. Um, he, He The sequence of pain starts off with him with the, one of the laziest turnovers that you're going to ever see from Connor McDavid. Like, he guards the puck like his life depends on it. And, um, man, he just made a horrendous turnover, like throwing the puck kind of blindly on the backhand up the boards. Skiing with nothing it. on it. On it was 2-0-1. No, well, Nurse was up the ice as Darnell Nurse. Like, Darnell Nurse spent most of the shift wandering out of position and turning over the puck. But he was outdone by McDavid with his turnover. And then... You know, the owners get the puck hemmed in their zone and a number of the players shift off, but not McDavid. He doesn't find his way to the bench, when he, which he should have. And he's out there for this extended shift. And he makes it he makes at least um, he allows a shot from the outside. Um, he just he was he he's just wandering around doing nothing. And he's in the red light zone almost the entire shift. And same with Nurse, same with Evander Kane. And finally, there's a goal against, and opinions are going to differ on this. Um, Derek Ryan doesn't cover the shooter. He abandons Dadanoff or Dadanoff on the shot. But um, I think Stuart Skinner, um, like he had no chance on the shot. The shot was a brilliant shot. It was a great pass from behind the net and immediately into the net before Skinner reacted. But Skinner, I, I, I don't, it's not like he missed the shot. He was out of position on the shot. And he was out of the position on the shot because he got fooled by the move of the Montreal player. So to me, that's his mistake. He, he a, a, An attacker fools him in the offensive end, and he's not in the right place to make the save because of it. So he takes himself out of the play due to a, a, a mental error, due to an attacker tricking him. Now, it's a great play by the attacker, and it's a very difficult play for the goalie. And um, I, I know some people who think, like, NHL teams should practice that kind of play more often. Kind of the um, the play against the grade from behind the net. Is it? Yeah. It's not executed enough in the NHL, and I bet you in the future we'll see. And we're starting to see more goals like this. Um, but I do think Skinner made him. You know, he made a mental error. So I, I also tagged him on that play. But it was really not his fault. 
um, in, in uh, as much as it was <laughs> Connor McDavid, Darnell Nurse, Evander Kane, and Derek Ryan. So, well, uh, McDavid and Kane were both on the ice for two minutes and thirteen seconds on that shift, and, and Nurse for two minutes one second. And you know they had several chances to clear the zone. Man, Kane, I think he had two chances along the left wing boards in a row near the end of the shift. And it's, I don't know what it is. Some games it's like you get the puck to the winger three feet from the blue line, and it's like impossible to move the puck four feet and get it over the line. And, you know, that's uh, too much sort of standing still while the other defenseman is charging and being more aggressive. And Edmonton did not have very much defensive aggression in this game at all, nowhere near enough. And uh, that showed on that long, painful sequence i mean sequence of pain is fine but what, geez when they have the puck cycling in your zone for probably a solid minute before they scored and this was after the original turnover that you mentioned on the on the soft pass that sort of stressed the edmonton players and then, you know second period that that bench is a long way away you've got to make good crisp plays with the puck and just nobody could and yeah that was a that was a really dreadful sequence Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, 3 and 68. And that is, the Oilers played three games within a 68-hour span. This is about as tough as the NHL can make it. They play Thursday night, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, basically, from Edmonton time. So three and four days, with the last two being back-to-back, and all in different cities, all on the road. Like, that's that's the so-called schedule loss. And Edmonton had not only that, but they had the afternoon game, so the even shorter rest period, and the sort of Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. And they were ragged in some of the other games. But today, my sense was they had almost nothing left. And, I mean, that was apparent from the start, and it just it was like a very ragged effort throughout. A little, like I say, spurts here and there. They did create some chances but they came very, very, very far from playing a complete hockey game. And I don't think there's very many players on the team that would look back and say, well, I had a good game today, but the you know, team really didn't. Oh, I'm not sure that many of, them, many of them did. And it was, you know, it just caught up with them. And I mean, that's how, it, it's how winning streaks end. Sometimes you win a game or two that, you know, maybe you hang on and then somebody comes in and kicks the crap out of you. I mean, Philadelphia Flyers, when they had that 35-game unbeaten streak that's still the NHL record from the Oilers' first year in the league, when they played game number 36, they lost it 7-1. to one. You know, like the wheels just came completely off and they got stomped. And essentially that's, uh, uh, that's um, uh, describes much of what happened uh, today, plus, you know, the, the big difference in goaltending. Not sure this is a game that could have been stolen by good goaltending, but if Allen had been average and Skinner had been average, Edmonton would have had a real fighting chance, despite the ragged play. But uh, that was the sealer. But anyway, it was uh, just uh, just uh, they just hit the end of their streak, and that's that. I mean, let's turn the page and and move on and say, well, you you know, they even had a chance to go into first place today, David, with the win, but. Uh, they did not seem to to find that carrot particularly tasty on this day. 
Bruce, my number is uh, 800. That was uh, 0. 0.800. That's Stuart Skinner's save percentage this game. Six goals on uh, 30 shots against. And it was six goals on 12 grade A shots against. Yeah. So normally on 12 grade A shots, you're going to three goals. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about a, you know, and it was Skinner. He wasn't particularly terrible on uh, most of the goals against, you know, the first one, he failed to cover the puck would have been nice if he had been, you know, when Kulak put it back to him, I think it was a play he should have made mm-hmm. and he could have made. Um, second goal, you know, I, I've already described that. He, he just didn't make the big saves and you just need your goalie. You know, if you got 12 grade A shots against, if your goalie only lets in two, mm-hmm. you've got a really good chance. If your goalie lets in one, you could, you know, you're going to win. But uh, you're, if your goalie lets in six, you just, it's, you're not going to win. It's not going to be close. You've got, NHL goalies have got to make three out of four stops on grade A shots. And um, that's average. So, you know, these are really hard shots. All of these grade A shots are hard shots. They go in 25% of the time, but your goalie has got to come up big and stop the lion's share of them. And Stuart Skinner didn't do that tonight. And then at the other end, you have, you know, the Oilers firing 17 grade A shots and they only got two goals. So that was the game. Yeah, I now consider who was firing the grade A shots. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't have the count of grade A's, but I know that Hyman and McDavid each had seven. Drysaddle had four shots on net in this game. Yeah. And Montreal had, I mean, their snipers were really firing. Alex Belzeal scored for them. Jordan Jordan Harris had two goals. Raphael Harvey Pennard got one. I mean, how can you stop such an overwhelming force as that, right? So that's what's so frustrating. Montreal is like super deep into their death charge because they got so many injuries, and yet, yet uh, they uh, they kept sounding off that damn goal horn. <laughs> Leon had a funny game because he on the attack he was he was pretty brilliant. I mean, he he made major contributions to eleven grade A shots, and some of his shots, like some of he he lashed two executioner shots on the same power play. Couldn't mm-hmm. score on either of them. They were both fantastic shots, and yeah. he just he he had it going on. But of course, on Twitter, everybody's focused on his one, which super lame back check, which was I think a super mm-hmm. lame back check. Like in fairness, like Leon, yeah. he it was a typical kind of Leon mistake on a three on two on Montreal's fifth mm-hmm. goal. But the game was essentially over by then. I mean that ended it. But um, he's he. It's funny, he, he did so much well in that game. And I mm-hmm. actually gave him, I think, a seven. Yeah. Uh, because I try to be, I try to go on, Bruce, I don't try to go on pro, on impressions. Like, I know the impression that that, that that kind of back check makes on people. And it's very frustrating to watch. But the process of his game, that was, he only made one other mistake on a grade A shot against. He made 11 major contributions to grade mm-hmm. A shots for. He had a good game. He yep. just made, he just, and, and he might have scored three goals. He got one. He got one, right? And he could have scored mm-hmm. a couple more, or he yep. could have had, you know, three points at least. Yep. Not to be, because um, yep. it wasn't the Oilers' night, because Jake Allen was fantastic. Yeah, he also went 15-3 and three for 86% yes. on the faceoff dot on the day. Yes. The Oilers as a team went 37 wins, 14 losses. 
So they were winning those puck battles, absolutely dominating the faceoffs. 37 to 14, 73% like that. You never see that. So they did that. But then once they won the faceoff, they would proceed to lose the next puck battle too often. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, was a strange game for uh, for Leon, for sure. But uh, I'm sure lots of people try, are happy to jump on the guy. Yeah. Whatever, you know, he's uh, he's Frank Mahovlich, you know, he's he, he uh, uh, even when he's doing good stuff, he looks lazy. He's got bad body language. Yeah. He is Frank Mahovlich. Like he <laughs> he really is. Right. So in more ways than one. I mean, Frank Mahovlich was such a great hockey player, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's he's he my first favorite player with Big M. Really? Yeah, he also a reminds fan. It's kind of a secret now, but totally orders till the merger. I, I for WHA years, I just had two teams, and then once the merger came, choosing between my home team that I had season tickets to or Harold Ballard's team was a pretty easy decision. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> there's a whole raft of bigger, big, highly skilled, somewhat slower um, centers that Leon reminds me of. Like, and of course because the seventies are, you know, my formative period in life. Like yeah, I can, Esposito. a lot of them, like Lesposito, Vaslav Nedomansky, Alexander Yakushev. Like he, mm-hmm. he's got a little bit of all of those utterly fantastic hockey players in him. Mm-hmm. And including some of the defensive warts that, that you will see now and again with, with players like that. Mm-hmm. Bruce, let's talk about, uh, before we sign off, let's talk about the Eric Carlson rumor, which has been widely reported. I think it was Chris Stevenson. Um, mm-hmm. Who who's recirculated this? I mean, it was talked about um, in December, uh, and I looked into it then. And 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 when I actually looked into it in December, I, I thought I I could see a scenario where it works for the Oilers, and that's with San Jose picking up almost as much of retaining almost as much of his of his salary as you can, and um, you know you have to move out contracts the most like the most talked about contracts being moved out or yes, and Tyson Berry for, um, for uh, Carlson. And then you're going to have to give up a couple high draft picks, two first round draft picks. Cause, cause when, if you're retaining that amount of money, you're going to have to get a lot back. So people have to keep that in mind. If you're asking for that kind of retention, um, it's, it's going to be, at least three excellent pieces. So three first round draft picks or, and, and, and maybe a good prospect on top of that, the three or two first round draft picks and Dylan Holloway. And a past first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, it, it will, because, because of the retention, it changes everything. Yeah. Like remember when they traded Patrick Marlowe, the Leafs to Carolina, um, it was a first round draft pick for a guy who was earning, I think, $6 million a year. And the, the order is going to be asking San Jose to retain close to $6 million a year for, for, for three, four more course. years, three more, four years, more years, whatever he's got left. I'm just going to check. Just give me it. Like, I was Long just gonna, term, yeah. So this is not cheap. This is extremely expensive to do that. Plus, there's a... But now, what does San Jose get out of it? He's Carlson is completely out of sync with the rest of the team. This is a team that's going nowhere fast, yeah. which has a terrible prospect pool the last time I checked. They've just done really poorly in their draft. Mm-hmm. They need the picks. They need to rebuild. They need to move this player. They don't need the cap space. So, but they, so they've got to 
you know, although cap space is always valuable because they can right. trade in future years for other things. So they need to make they need to maximize what they're going to get if they're going to give up that cap space. It just right. may be that the buying that kind of cap space for the Oilers is too much, too costly in the end for this kind mm-hmm. of trade. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as a trade, though, I think, listen, Eric Carlson um, is returned to the form that made him one of the top five demon in the NHL. He's back to being that player. He's a fantastic hockey player. He's had injury-riddled career for the last three or four years. But he is a fantastic hockey player. And yeah, it is four more years after this one. Wow. So, you know, um, That's it's extremely commitment. costly. It's a huge commitment to an older player who's been injured a lot. I'm actually okay with that. I'm actually okay with giving up the first picks too. Like if it's three first picks, I'd be okay with that to get Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um I, I do worry about, I, I know Tyson Berry is a really key member of this team uh, and, uh, you know, fits in well. He's a leader on the power play. I worry about if you, if you move him out, um, what that means. It could be, there's talk of it could be Bouchard, though, instead of Berry, but I don't know how you make the money work. Then. Yeah, this, well, that's the problem. I mean, you got Bouchard on an ELC and you got Barry making 4.5 and you got Carlson making 11.5. You know, to pay all these $10 million contracts they're talking about on Edmonton, you have to have, and, and Holland has been bearing down on this fact throughout this, uh, all this media stuff he's been doing lately. He said, you know, we, sure, we want to go for it this year, but we want to go for it next year and the year after. And we're always going to need young, cheap players uh, somewhere on the team. You know, this year they've got, well, Evan Bouchard, they got Philip Broberg, they got uh, uh, Dylan Holloway, they got Ryan McLeod uh, that are, you know, uh, providing you know youth and speed and enthusiasm and they're all well under one million dollars and that's um, uh, if you trade all of those guys and all that class of guys from your from your system well who the heck are you going to have in those spots going forward you can't just have a few big contracts and then nothing else or you're the california angels you know it's uh it's a uh, uh it's a real tightrope and could you also Simon. move Pugliarvi, or excuse me, Fogel? You could, you could trade. Obviously, Pugliarvi's a piece. I could guess Yamamoto could be a piece, and yep, Fogel. Could be. Like, I mean, there's other ways of doing it. I mean, Kulak mm-hmm. could be a piece. Like, there's different ways of adjusting mm-hmm. for this that, yep. that could make it work. If you're if you're not going to move Barry, but then you'd also move Bouchard, and that would be a, a key piece. Obviously, Bouchard would be the the main piece then. Um, I, th- I think if they had Eric Carlson, Tyson Berry becomes redundant on the team. Like everything that Berry does, Carlson does better. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Berry's a good player, but I mean, if you've got Eric Carlson, is he going to be on your second power play? Mm, uh, probably not, you know. And what and good I, is Tyson Berry if he's not on your top power well, play? Well, that's really? right. Like, that's that's his, all his that's value. His primary value to yeah, the team primary right value. now. And I mean, he's and he's delivering. They got a, they got a historically good power play on the go. But I have to think that that power play is going to get better if they put the great Eric Carlson uh, on the unit. And uh, I understand that Carlson and uh, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle spent a fair bit of time hanging out together in the Pacific Division All-Star team and room, and they even got some ice time together. That's one of the reasons I watched that period of the All-Star game was to see how those three got along. And they... uh, you know, they had the puck on the string a couple of times, you know, and, and Carlson is such a dynamic player. 
Uh, you know, he leads the league, not just defensemen. He leads the league in even strength points by five. He's got 52, and nobody else has more than 47. All the forwards, you know, Hughes, Peterson, Kachuk, David's got 46, Kucherov 46, but there's this gap, and it's a defenseman on one of the worst teams in the league who's doing this damage at even strength. So there's uh, there's lots to... Uh, uh, it's it's very very mouthwateringly tempting to go after the guy, but boy, what a gamble! Bruce, and this is what makes me think that it could happen: is that there, I, in terms of a team that's a a, a buyer, mm-hmm. there's no team that they could that is more hungry for this player, like you know, that makes more sense. Even though they have Tyson Berry, like there's no team that would place a higher value on getting this player right now than the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think he's just perfect in a lot of ways for Edmonton. Maybe there, maybe there's Toronto, maybe there's a couple others, but Edmonton's near the top of the list, but here's the, the one wild card. I, um, Carlson, I'm just assuming he has a no trade clause. I'm just going to, or no move. Yes, no okay. So here's how he ends up in Edmonton. He says, I'm not going anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's a possibility. That's mm-hmm. a possibility. I mean, people were shocked when Hyman and Kane chose Edmonton. Mm-hmm. But players want to play. They want to win Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. They're with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle. Everything else in this team's pretty good. Carlson could could direct his way. And this is the moment for San Jose to trade the player. He could get injured again, and they get nothing. They get nothing for him. So this they are under tremendous amount of player pressure to move Carlson. And if he says, here's where I'm going... That's where he's going, and um, so then the price starts coming down because of that, and it and it and the teams meet in the middle, and they can work out something that's going to work for the Oilers, make it work for Edmonton. I think there's a chance this happens, and I think there's more chance. I think there's real credibility to this rumor because it makes such sense for both teams, and there are ways to make it work for both teams um, that are within the bounds of reality. So I yeah. like this. I like. I, I, I'm going to give this a 33% chance of happening, maybe. Uh, 30, yeah, based on my knowledge, because I don't know mm-hmm. if Carlson's putting the screws to San Jose by saying, "There's, right. well, I'm gonna, I want Edmonton, can you move me there? And that's it. Because he yeah. could. He could do that, right? Yeah, well, I heard that, um, I mean, one of the many things that I've heard on the grapevine is that Carlson would prefer any team but Edmonton because the whole San Jose team hates Van Der Kane. Uh, doesn't want anything to do with him, but uh, oh, who said that? Yeah, well, it's out there. There's so much oh, crap come out on. there. I, I mean, just think I mean, that's. Okay, I I would understand why Eric Carlson would never again want to play with Mike Hoffman. Now that I do get, <laughs> yeah. but but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, surely some of that time uh, spent with the boys at the at the uh, All Star game last weekend, they were probably talking about the the new look. But I can see Vander Kane that Edmonton's going everything I see, and I don't I'm obviously not in the room, is a very good teammate, uh, a guy that has his teammates' backs, and a guy who has their fronts. You know, yesterday yes. when when Yesipuliarvi finally scored his first goal and got off the schneid, it's a huge hug and beam that he got from Vander Kane on the bench. And I'm thinking that's the exact kind of fit, feedback this guy needs right now. I love it. Yeah. And you know, and, and so it, I mean. He's got such a troubled and, and, and sordid history that some people can't get past it. 
But all I can say is from the time he's been in Edmonton, I've seen nothing to have me say. I mean, he can be a bit of a uh, be a bit of a jerk on the ice from time to time. But I mean, that's that's hockey, right? I mean, <laughs> that's uh, not necessarily a bad te- bad thing from your, your team's perspective. You, you know, all teams have got a little bit of that, I think. And he <clears throat> he's uh, changed the equation in Edmonton. But so they, anyway, I'm thinking they would have talked to. to uh, Carlson about that as well and say, and uh, I'm thinking they'd say he's been pretty model citizen in the time he's been here and you know even despite the fact that he left I think three prior teams under less than ideal circumstances but so far so good here here's the thing about three first round draft picks it's always a risk because you don't know um I you know it would be it would be good if the last of the draft picks the furthest out one was cap protected for one or a year like so they could push push it back mm-hmm. but what we're looking at probably is is later round first round draft picks which are all i think in the minds of like everyone thinks it's a first round draft pick hey they're not all created equally some of them are worth 10 times more than others first round draft picks so when you say a first round draft pick it's not you know drafting 27th or 25th is not the same as drafting 10th or 11th and that's well, not the same as drafting second or third yeah so it's it's always different and if the orders are drafted between 20 and 32, these draft picks mm-hmm. aren't that valuable. They're 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 not they're not you know prize things you have to hold on to at all costs. So that's the other thing. Like if that's that's why I'm I'm leaning towards making these this if if this trades out there like I I, I Kurt was saying go for it. Yeah, I know he was. I agree with Kurt. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I almost included Kane in my post. I I, I used the example of the uh, Chikrin in my yeah. post about Holland's options, and I had this cockamamie idea about Barry and Pulleyarvi for Kane and ha- or, or for Carlson with half retained, and then a whole bunch of other stuff going to San Jose. Uh, but uh, uh, that. Uh, even though he's got the highest cap hit of any defenseman out there, it's still possible to make things work if you work on the cap retention front. But the trouble is the cap retention itself costs you. And in this case, if you're going to ask a team to retain four, four and a half, five million dollars on a guy for four more years, I mean, you're talking about real money, you know, a million here, a million there before you know it adds up. And it's uh, uh, so that is a... Uh, uh, you know, down to something that would have to be paid for. At the same time, if you're on the San Jose side and you're thinking, well, we're overpaying this guy in terms of what he's going to do for us. we got to move this contract out. Are we? Would we rather pay for, uh, 60, 40% of it or 100% of it? Because if you can't move it, you got the whole thing. So yes. anyway, they've got... Um, uh, uh, they've got a decision to make, and I don't think they're moving them at 20%. I just don't know that there's a team that can make that fit. Well, he so, wouldn't go to that team because the team with that kind of cap space, Bruce, isn't in the playoffs this right. year. Like, which team in the playoffs has that has that kind of cap space that they can take on $9 million or whatever it is? Like, there's no one. Unless mm-hmm. they're moving other things back that equal right. my game, which is hard to imagine that's happening. Like, maybe I'm incorrect about this, but I don't, I haven't so because I, I haven't studied the cap situation of each team. But to make the playoffs, you got to pay usually. And anyway, yeah. I don't see it happening. And then Carlson's got to agree. So I like it. The more I think about it, Bruce, the more I think it's a real possibility. And I think it's kind of a it's a very interesting, cool thought. And um, 
see what happens. I like it better than the chicken rumor. Yeah. Yeah, well, Carlson certainly the elite player out there, and at age 32, minus the injuries, I mean, a lot of, a lot of like, truly super elite players. Uh, what's he won? Two Norris trophies, and he's been in the hunt a few times. And other than Matt Cook stomping on his Achilles heel that one time, and, and uh, uh, that was gross. And, uh, uh, you know, he's had, he's, he's had his issues. And at one point, I thought he was, you know, his career was hanging on a, you know, uh, cartilage or something, but he's, uh, he's been healthy and good. So a huge, huge gamble that would be in a, a real ch- sea change in how the team is set up. But, uh, I said to my wife last night, she was asking about, it, and I said, well, it's like adding Paul coffee, you know, in terms of the dynamism from the back end that this guy brings. And it's, it's not a perfect comparison, but it's closer than you might suppose. And so I'm just imagining in my mind's eye some just sort of lethal offensive combinations that would be almost impossible to stop when you get the, you know the three three big guys out there together. So yeah. Well, when Paul Coffey was 32, <laughs> 77 points in 80 years. games, he won mm-hmm. the Norris at 34. Mm-hmm. And he was a good player till he was essentially a good player till he, he was 35. Right. So 32, 33, 34, 35. So, yeah, make the trade if you can make it. Uh, we'll see if it can happen. Good luck to the Oilers on that. Bruce, let's uh, wrap it up. Thanks for talking today. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. And I hope it's a great Super Bowl for all you Super Bowl fans. Thanks. Bye bye.